Um, so I'm grateful to be here this morning. And before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your worship this morning. God, I just I thank you for, for who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we praise you. We praise your name above all other names. God, you are good. And I just pray that you would speak your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about idolatry. I often wonder how I am so easily knocked off center um, or knocked down. God is the center of my life. We're called to walk a straight and narrow path. But so often I go astray. So often I replace him with something else or someone else. I become that little boy who sees a shiny little object and gets distracted. Or sees that squirrel and, you know, goes over here, you know, forgets what's going on, what's really important. And, I, and at some point, after some time and effort, I realize that I've left God. I've left God for that shiny object or that squirrel or that thing or that person that, that has consumed me. And unfortunately, it doesn't really take that much time for me to get there. I'm easily distracted. So I replace God on his throne with something else or someone else. And that thing can be very sinful or dangerous. And it can also be very potentially damaging and life-destroying. This is the sin of idolatry. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher and author, once wrote, An idol is anything in my life that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it, effort, my money to it effortlessly. Let me read that one more time. I heard this in a sermon many years ago, and I wrote it in one of my Bibles because I thought it was really good. An idol is anything in my life that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it effortlessly. The scary thing about idolatry is that it is right up there with pride as a root for all sin. I mean, if you think about idolatry, and you think about Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, definition of, of idolatry, anything that you put above God is an idol. Anything, good or bad. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's money, who knows? Maybe it's something that is clearly sinful in the scriptures that has become an idol. This is what the world does. The world puts idols in their life. They set God aside. And honestly, it can be very attractive, like that shiny object for a child. 1 John 5.21 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
Now, I, I didn't think of this till just now, but I think that's interesting. That is the last sentence in the letter of 1 John. The very last sentence. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That was Paul's last word in, his, in that letter. That says something. If you are an unbeliever, you will naturally put other things above God. That's your natural bent. That was our natural bent before we became followers of Christ. We put other things before God. But if you are a believer, a Christian, how can you tell you have an idol in your life? Well, this is what I want to explore this morning. So we will start with 1 John 1, 5 through 10. And this point is about us being called to walk in the light. So if we can go to 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10 reads, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So in this we learn that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is perfect. He's sinless, full of light, full of goodness. He can have nothing to do with darkness, nothing to do with sin or imperfection. Verse 6 says that we do not practice the truth and we lie if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness. So if we walk in darkness, but we say we have fellowship with God, we do not practice the truth. So he's saying to walk in the light. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We are called to walk in the light which means to reflect God's perfection in daily life. Therefore, no idols. We are to walk in holiness and truth and love. We are not to be characterized by sin. We are not to be characterized by idols, putting other things more important than God. Can we put things like our family more important than God? we put them above God, I think that's a very easy temptation. And putting our family in a high place is a good thing. But when we put it above God, that, that is a problem. So I'm saying all these things to set the tone for the message. We are called to walk in the light. We are called to obey God, to walk the straight and narrow path. But still, as believers, we find ourselves getting distracted by that shiny object, straying from that narrow path, going left and going right, when God has called us to go right down the middle and follow him. 
And the great thing about these verses here is that there is grace in the last few verses. Verses 8 through 10. If we confess our sins and faithful, and he, he is faithful to forgive our, us of our sins and cleanse us. And it says if we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we, are a, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So clearly it's saying we are guilty, we are sinful, but we are to walk as Jesus walked. We are to walk in his ways every day of our lives. So this point is to say we are to walk in the light. We are to follow him. Number two, we are to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5-7. We are to examine our lives. First Corinthians, sorry, first, first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I don't know if I said first or second the first time, but 2 Corinthians 13, 5-7. It reads, Examine yourselves, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, in, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Now, in the context of 2 Corinthians 13, it seems that Paul is calling the, the church there to examine themselves to know if they are in the faith, to know if they are followers of Christ. But I think you can use the same logic to examine yourself with sin. If we are called to examine ourselves to know whether we are in the faith, we are called to examine ourselves to see if we are disobeying God. Uh, Paul writes the Corinthians that he hopes that after they examine themselves, they find that they are born again. But then he says, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. So Paul is clearly concerned about their obedience. Paul is concerned about their righteousness. He doesn't want them to sin. So if it is right to examine yourself, if you are born again, it is right to examine to know whether you have idols in your life. So if we are to examine ourselves and identify idols in our life, things that we've put above God, what would that look like? Remember, no matter if you profess to worship God, if you have elevated someone or something above him, that has become an idol. So as a very practical application, what would it look like to examine yourself? There may be a, a potential list of questions you would ask. These questions I've got here don't necessarily prove whether you have an idol. Some of them, some of them are fine questions, but it's all about examination and discovery in your life. There was a point in my Christian walk where I realized I have to start looking at myself. I can't just uh, go to church and show up, and uh, as we were talking about in, in, in youth this morning, I can't just be a, a, a fan 
of Jesus. I've got to be a follower and dig in, right? I've got to examine myself. And something else I learned along the way, I've got to place people in my life on purpose that will hold me accountable. And sometimes that's not a very comfortable thing to do. But here's a list of questions you may ask. What do you worry about the most? Scripture tells us not to worry, but to trust God. Right? He takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field. We are not to worry, because worry can't add a single hour to your life. So what do you worry about the most? That may tell you if you've got something in your life you're putting above the Lord. And I'm telling you, these questions... I deal with them too. They're not necessarily easy. Another question, what if you failed or lost it would cause you to feel that maybe you shouldn't live? People deal with that. People deal with that in a real way. What do you use to comfort yourself with when things go bad or get difficult? There's a lot of things people comfort themselves with. I mean, you can start with the obvious things, alcohol, drugs, Sex, greed, or you can move on to, you know, slander, gossip, lying, deception. We are sinners after all. We deal with these things on a daily basis. You may find that you have an idol if you start examining yourself. What do you use to cope with? What do you use to feel better? What preoccupies you? What do you daydream about? What gives you the most worth and value? Maybe it's your career, maybe it's your relationships, maybe money or possessions or something else. We struggle with these things in a real way. What do you want to be known for? What legacy do you want to leave? Though I believe our Christianity should direct our politics, and they very well should, do you value politics more than Jesus? I think I'm guilty of that a time or two. What do you lead with in conversation? Early on, when you meet people, when you talk to people, what do you want to make sure they know about you? Is it your journey with Jesus? Is it your salvation? Is it something else? I like old cars. I've got an old Ford Bronco. It needs a lot of work. But there are times where that's the first thing I tell people. Or maybe something else. You know, what do you want people to know about you? What do you really want or expect out of life? What would make you happy? You know, the Scripture doesn't promise us a happy life. It promises us promises us salvation and joy in the Lord. It doesn't promise easy. It promises God. And that is way better. What is your hope in in life and what is your hope in the future? I could go on and on with questions, but this is just, an ex this is just a list to look at yourself, to examine, to ask yourself, am, is there something in my life that I'm putting above the Lord? Um, I was involved in Celebrate Recovery some years ago, and we had to do an inventory of our life. 
we had to reflect and do an inventory of the good things, the bad things in our life. And that was a pretty tough thing to go through. And it was all about this, examining yourself. So these are just some example questions. And there are many more to ask. But the goal is to look and dig and see if you're putting something above the Lord. So, what do we do next? If, if you find that you have idolatry in your life, or sin in your life, it, you need to know that you are not alone. There are many examples in Scripture. Many, many examples, examples in Scripture of people who have put other things above the Lord. So I want to explore that for a minute. In the Old Testament, over and over, you see idolatry. You see the people of Israel following something else. One of the most famous and obvious is the story of, of the golden calf, right? You also have Adam and Eve, who put knowledge, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and being like God, that's how Satan tempted them, they would be like God if they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of, tree of knowledge and good and evil. They put that status, being like God and that knowledge, above the Lord. They created an idol. There are many more to go through. Um, there are other idolaters. They include Samson and Judges who made an idol out of Delilah and himself, to be honest with you. There's the great kings, uh, Saul, David, Solomon, and their successors. Exodus 20, 3-6 includes the first two commandments. And here's what it has to say. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, when you start looking at these verses, they're the first two commandments. The Lord is very concerned with Him being number one in your life. Above everything else, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them, serve them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He is jealous for you. And he is jealous for his glory. He wants your attention, your focus, your gaze to be on him. And you know, in our sinful, finite minds, sometimes that seems to go against our, the grain, right? Because we look through a human perspective that the Lord God is, wants our attention focused solely on him. If I were to say I'm going to put my attention solely on my family and not on God, well, my family's fallible. Sinners, not perfect. But God is perfect. God is absolutely perfect and deserving of all of our praise and all of our glory. And something I try to remind myself is that he is good. Nothing else is good like him. And so in a way almost that we can't understand, we are to put him first before everything else. So idolatry in the Old Testament often looked like cultic religions 
worshiping statues, but it was more than that. It was anything that they placed above God. King Saul set aside God for his own ego, his image, his power, and control. King David made an idol out of Bathsheba, put her above God, got her pregnant, killed her husband, and went on his own way. David was still a man after God's own heart. That's what he's known for. He set aside God to follow that shiny object. And this caused a lot of destruction in his life. It caused his children to try to kill him. It caused a lot of family strife. King Solomon. King Solomon is one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible to me. He is known for his wisdom and his wealth. The scripture says he is the wisest man to ever live. But I would also argue he is one of the dumbest. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. I don't even have words for that. (laughs) If that's not idolatry, I don't know what is. And yes, some of that was all about his strategy and his position to work with other nations, but... 300 wives and 700 concubines. That's just insane. And and you know, what's interesting is he would even follow, some of his wives came from, many of his wives came from other places. He would follow them and, and their idols. Many of the subsequent kings after them were total disasters. They would worship idols in the high places and God would constantly tell them, tear down the high places. Tear them down and and they wouldn't. Some would. Few would. Many wouldn't. Idolatry continued to be a problem throughout the Old Testament. It could be argued that idolatry was the primary sin of Israel, and that it was God, and that it is what God repeatedly called them to repent of. In Zephaniah 1, 2 through 6, God basically summed up, he said, he will cut off all of those in Judah and Jerusalem who were idolaters. And you remember the prophets of Baal? They were idolaters. But it doesn't stop there. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, after Jesus Jesus had come, the church at Ephesus dealt with worshiping silver images of Diana. The Roman and Greek culture influenced worship of many false gods. Uh, Paul Paul went to Athens, and there were many false gods there, and he wasn't necessarily there dealing with the believers, but there was a tomb to an unknown god. And he used that to his advantage and said, I know that god. And he's greater than all the rest of the gods. But idolatry was a big thing. It was everywhere. Putting something, putting a person, putting an image, putting an animal, putting an idea above the Lord. We see this in the Pharisees as well. We see the Pharisees were idolaters. They would even, they would put their their own ideas of the Messiah above the real Messiah. 
they would put following this law above Jesus. And as you all well know, even to the point of crucifying the Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah, and he was there, not what they expected. And they crucified him. They put themselves and their ideas above God. So we've just scratched the surface of idolatry in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In our world today, idols are really no different. There are other religions that still have carved images. There is the idol of self, money, power, status, pleasure, treasures. There are idols everywhere in our life. There's the idol of, of Netflix, right? What do you put above spending time with the Lord? What do you put above spending time in prayer and being at church and being in fellowship with the believers? And on the topic of inward and self-idolatry, there's another quote that I thought was very valuable to read. Out of one of my commentaries on 2 Corinthians, David Garland wrote this, to dwell on our own excellence is dangerous because it causes us to turn our attention from God's glory to our own and stokes the sinful desire to create a circle of admirers for ourselves rather than the disciples rather than disciples for Christ so not only are we considering are making ourselves an idol but especially when we try to get a circle of admirers look how amazing i am look how great i am i'm the best at this you're creating an idol not only of yourself, but for others to idolize you. And while we can look at ourselves and see this happening with us on a day-to-day -day basis, we can also look in bigger places like Hollywood and sports and whatever out there is about famous people. People idolize famous people because they're really good at something. You know, being really good at something never got anybody to heaven. So, what do we do about this? What do we do about an idol? Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Though this is specifically talking about wealth, we can apply this to anything. You cannot serve two masters. Have you sacrificed God for something else? Have you put something above God? I, I am guilty. I am guilty. And so what do we need to do when we, when we, when we come to that? We repent. We repent and believe God. The Gospel of Mark 1.15 says, Turn away from that which we have put above God. Well, I don't think I wrote that whole quote out. <laughs> um, Mark 1.15 is basically telling us to turn away from God. Repent and believe. Not turn away from God. I'm getting myself confused here. Forgive me. Repent and believe the Gospel. Turn away from that which we have put above God. Believe God, trust him, and follow him. Secondly, we, can see, we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
That's in Matthew 6.33. Seek him and put him above everything else and everyone else. Number three, spend time in prayer and communicate to God. Read the Bible and learn God's heart. Learn of his goodness, his love, his jealousy for you. Learn of his justice and his wrath. Go to church, spend time in fellowship with other believers. Encourage one another, pray for one another, and stand on each other's toes and tell each other when you're doing something wrong. And that is important. Correction from those who love us is something that we desperately need. So, so far what we have looked at There are four points I have made. We are called to walk in the light. We are called to examine ourselves and examine to see if we have idols in our life, if we're putting something above him. I have shown you that you are not alone. Many great men in the scriptures have been idolaters. Paul rebuked many churches for being idolaters, but the interesting thing is he still considered them a church. He called them to repentance. And number four, we are to repent, believe God, and seek after him. If you understand this, and you have discovered idolatry in your life, when you repent and put God back on the throne, and you set him higher than anything else, you will be walking in the light. 1 John 1, 9 reads this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So walk in the light. Let us strive individually to set aside idols, to examine our lives, to set, to put them away. Let us be focused on the Lord and put him on the throne of our life. As Bruce and his team come back on stage, I want to invite you to follow Christ. I want to invite you to follow him. Jesus is, is, is the Savior of the world. He is the only thing that can save us from ourselves, save us from our idols, save us from our sin. We have broken our relationship with him. If you are not a sinner, then you are not human. Right? We must follow Christ. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus today, follow him. Study the scriptures. Talk to me or talk to somebody else on staff. Talk to Bruce. Talk to somebody in the church. If you don't know him, let's talk about it. I love a good debate any day of the week. If you do know him and you discover you have idols in your life, repent and follow him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for your message this morning on idols and how to deal with them. God, I pray that we would grow together as a body of believers and learn to trust you. God, show us the sin in our hearts, 
the idols in our lives and help us to walk the straight and narrow path and to repent. Lord, we love you and we thank you. God, I ask that you would bless this congregation, bless the people as they go out today and help them to grow in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.